just get started here. Um, last month, Pastor Paul and I went to have a look at a church building that was listed on the KW real estate market. The building proved to be too small for our needs, but it certainly got us thinking about KW Redeemer's future. When the time comes, what kind of things should we look for in a building? I'm just going to share a few images here. If we saw a building like this, should we go ahead? Is this the building for us? Oh, hang on. I'm not screen sharing yet. If this is the building that we see, should we uh, go ahead and buy it? Let's see. How about this home? Is this uh, going to be suitable for our needs? Here's a, a picture of a more famous building that has a few problems. And I'll show you this picture. This is uh, a picture of the condo building that's across the pond from where Anne and Katie and I live. And it's actually a very attractive building. But I learned a few years ago uh, that this uh, building and the ones behind it have some serious problems. Uh, when, it, when they were constructed, uh, they weren't built properly. And uh, over the years, water got in through the foundations. And those buildings have required $3 million in repairs over the last few years. So appearances can be deceiving. The lesson for uh, all of us, uh, for anyone looking to buy a building, is that the foundation is important. And the alignment is important. If the foundation isn't solid and the walls aren't properly joined, everything else about the building is shaky. In God's word today, we're going to be reminded about the foundation of our lives, the cornerstone of God's church, Jesus Christ, and how we are connected to him. We'll be reading from the first letter of Peter, chapter 2, the first 10 verses. And so we read, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may pro proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. In this passage, the Apostle Peter is writing to the persecuted churches that are scattered across Asia Minor. This letter was written near the end of Peter's life. He offers here some wonderful words of encouragement and hope to those who are suffering for their faith, reminding them of who they are in Jesus Christ. These words are just as relevant for us today as they were 2,000 years ago. Before we dig into what Peter is teaching the church, which I'll refer to as the cornerstone exalted, we'll take a look at the Old Testament scriptures that Peter is quoting, the cornerstone foretold. And we'll also consider what Jesus said about himself, the cornerstone rejected. We'll begin with the cornerstone foretold. If you have your Bibles handy, turn to Psalm 118. This psalm is the last in a series of six Passover psalms that were used by the Jewish nation to commemorate God's redemption of his people from a life of slavery in Egypt. The psalm begins with gratitude. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist then goes on to describe a time of personal persecution and distress, out of which the Lord had rescued him. Then, beginning in verse 19, we read these words. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This triumphant passage that talks about entering into God's presence, which in those days was accomplished by bringing sacrifices to the temple. In the middle of the passage, there's a puzzling reference. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A cornerstone was a familiar image to the Jewish audience. When erecting a building with stone walls, such as the temple in Jerusalem, the cornerstone, usually a larger stone, is laid on the foundation at the corner of two walls. All of the other stones placed into the wall are lined up against and joined to this cornerstone to ensure that the walls are solid and held together securely. However, the reason for using this construction term in this passage isn't clear. Robert Godfrey, in his book, Learning to Love the Psalms, asks, why does the psalmist use the image of a stone rejected by the builders? Does he have Israel in mind? The people rejected by the Egyptians, those great builders, but delivered by God and led into the land of promise. Is this statement drawn from some experience of the psalmist? Or was this expression just proverbial in Israel? In any case, It is a testimony to the unexpected work of God in exalting the lowly. The next Old Testament text that Peter refers to is found in Isaiah chapter 28. In this passage, the prophet Isaiah explains that the northern kingdom of Israel has been overrun by the Assyrian army because 
of their continuous disobedience to Jehovah God. And then he turns his attention to the political and religious leaders of the southern kingdom of Judah. These leaders have made a pact with the powerful nation of Egypt that they think will protect them from the Assyrian army. They have not placed their trust in the God who had redeemed them from those same Egyptians. Hear these words of warning from Isaiah, beginning at verse 14. Oh, wrong one. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. Throughout the Old Testament era, God continually revealed himself to his chosen people in times of prosperity and in times of adversity. He called on them to place their trust and their confidence in him and not in any other false hope. But again and again, God's people turned their eyes and their hearts away from Jehovah God and towards the futile gods of the nations around them. Yet God is not deterred. He does not change. God had a plan that was in place before the creation of the world to lay a foundation in Zion, a cornerstone. But it was a plan that was not yet understood by the people. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the quote from early church leader Augustine, who said about the Bible, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. Perhaps a better version says, the new is in the old contained, the old is in the new explained. And it was left to God himself in the person of Jesus Christ to begin to explain what these Old Testament passages signified. So turn in your Bibles now to Mark chapter 12, as we consider the cornerstone rejected. To set the context, Jesus is teaching in the temple. A few days earlier, Jesus had entered the city of Jerusalem to a jubilant welcome from the people. They expected Jesus to be their political savior, a powerful leader who would overthrow the hated Romans and restore the nation of Israel to the prominence it had enjoyed centuries before during the times of King David and King Solomon. Meanwhile, the religious leaders of his day hated Jesus because his teachings did not line up with their system of rituals and observances a system that they had used to make themselves quite wealthy and respected. Jesus responds to their challenge against his authority. And so we read, 
Again, wrong one. <laughs> and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Jesus is announcing that he is the cornerstone, the Messiah that all scripture has pointed to. And the Messiah is bringing in a new kingdom. All who would humbly confess their sin and place their trust in him would receive forgiveness and new life. But the Jewish leaders and many of his listeners would not accept this message. They could not see their own sinfulness and they saw no need for a savior of this nature. And so they rejected the cornerstone. Friends, many people in the world today continue to reject the God of the Bible. This is nothing new. It has been this way ever since Adam and Eve first fell into disobedience in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus' teaching here is not aimed at those who haven't heard about God's great salvation plan. He is speaking to the Jewish scribes and teachers who knew the Old Testament very well. They were witnessing in front of their eyes the fulfillment of all that the prophets of old had foretold. But with a few exceptions like Nicodemus, they rejected what they were hearing. Jesus did not fit into their idea of how things should be. This ought to be a lesson for each one of us. We are called to align our hearts and our minds with that of our Savior Jesus Christ. But we are living in times where so much of what Jesus taught is discarded and even scoffed at. And, there is, and so there is a real temptation amongst believers to try to remake Jesus into a loving and accepting savior who is not concerned about God's law for his created people. Remember though that Jesus himself said in Matthew five, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Yes, Jesus loves the sinner, but we need to understand that any attempt to paint Jesus as someone who is unconcerned about our disobedience is a rejection of Jesus as he is revealed to us in God's word. We would be making the same error that the religious leaders of Jesus' day did. 
So we need to be careful not to reject the cornerstone that God has laid as a foundation for our lives. But now let's consider the cornerstone exalted. For those who hear the good news of the gospel and respond to the call, the Apostle Peter has some beautiful encouragement. He describes what God is going to accomplish in their lives. He says in verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are the living stones that are being built into a spiritual house. My dad was a builder. He worked for many years as a foreman for a construction company that built schools and offices, but then he started his own small business and did a lot of different jobs, some new construction and lots of renovations and repairs. During my university years, I would occasionally work for my dad to make some money. And I learned a couple of things about construction. First of all, I learned that I was not cut out for the job. Getting up before dawn, working on bitter cold mornings and blazing hot afternoons, climbing ladders and walking scaffolds, these were a few of my not favorite things. But I also learned an appreciation for the work of a craftsman the skill and precision that is needed to build something of value that will last. A craftsman knows how to use a transit level to make sure that founda the foundation is level, knows how to use chalk lines and plumb bobs to make sure that the block walls are straight and vertical, knows how to handle a trowel and a chisel to shape the blocks that are put into the wall. Peter uses this imagery of construction to describe what God is up to. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. God is the master craftsman, and he is using each one of us to build his kingdom. Picture yourself as a stone in the hands of God the Father. He is saying, I'm going to use you as a part of the kingdom that I'm establishing. I would like to use you right over here. And he places you into a fellowship of believers. To do what? To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. We are called to give our lives in his service. And in verse nine, we read that we are being prepared to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A stone is not the same as a brick. It isn't already pre-shaped into a nice rectangular form. It needs to be shaped by chisel and saw before it can be properly placed into the wall. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, God is shaping us to be fit for use in his kingdom. And that can sometimes be painful. Peter begins this chapter by saying, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, we can add to this list selfishness, pride, jealousy, laziness, uncontrolled anger. None of these things belong in God's spiritual house. In our own strength, we cannot put to death these sinful desires and behaviors. But when we humble ourselves, and as Peter says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk 
the Holy Spirit will help us to grow into the salvation that we have already received through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have good news to bring to the world, but this is not something we do in isolation. One or two stones does not make a wall. It takes many stones to build God's kingdom. As God gives us our place in his kingdom, it is not up to us to compare ourselves with those who do not yet have a place in God's spiritual house. We don't need to be loudly demanding that our society change their behaviors so that we can then be free to serve God. When Jesus had finished telling the parable of the tenants, the very next question he was asked involved paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus responded, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Similarly, Peter in his letter to the churches follows this beautiful passage describing the building of God's church with a series of instructions to submit to the human institutions that God has put in place. He summarizes the instructions with the statement, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. As we are being built into God's spiritual house, we do not need to compare ourselves to the world. We also don't need to compare ourselves to other church fellowships within God's kingdom. Although we can certainly learn from our brothers and sisters in other fellowships, they are not the standard that we compare ourselves to. We don't need to be comparing ourselves with each other here in KW Redeemer. God has created each one of us for his unique purposes. I don't need to be able to sing like our music teams or preach like Pastor Paul, which is good because I can't do voice impressions. I don't need to have hair like Peter with his flowing curls. Brothers and sisters, the only standard that we need to keep our eyes fixed upon is our dear savior, Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone, the head of the church, the one who has made it possible through his death on the cross for us to come into the presence of God and to be used for his service and glory. Each one of us needs to be ready and willing to align our lives with his. Jesus has shown us how to live our lives for the kingdom of God. Self-sacrifice, love for others, trusting in the Father's provision. So what are some practical ways that we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit to allow ourselves to be built up into Christ? First of all, we can spend time in God's word. God has provided us with all the wisdom we need for life, but we can't learn it if we don't spend time in it. I recognize this isn't always easy. I recall times in my life when I was busy with career and family and church and school, and it seemed like there was just no time left to read my Bible. I'm thankful that the Spirit convicted me of the need to change, and I encourage each of you to set aside a quiet time each day, whether early in the day or at lunchtime or in the evening, to read and meditate on God's Word. And for those areas in our life where we know that we have some rough edges, I recommend that you find some words of encouragement in God's word about that issue and memorize them so that when your particular struggles rise up in your daily walk, you will be able to recall the words that God has given to you and find new strength. 
A second practical way is to spend time in prayer, both on our own and with those who are close to us. Ask God to show you where your heart is not aligned with Jesus, the cornerstone, and ask him to show you how he wants to use you for his glory. And thirdly, spend time together with God's people. As I said earlier, one or two stones by themselves do not make a spiritual house. We are made to be in fellowship with each other, to build each other up, to laugh together, to cry together, to work together. I'm thankful that we have Bible study groups, youth group, the marriage seminar, and other opportunities for mutual encouragement, even given our current restrictions on meeting in person. And I pray that you will find good friendships within the fellowship of believers, friendships that will help you to be built up in Christ likeness. If you're listening this morning and you haven't yet decided if Jesus Christ is the sure foundation of your life, I would invite you to come to him, the living stone who is chosen and precious in the sight of God. Jesus does not expect you to first clean up your own life so that you can feel like you belong in the church. He wants you to come as you are, with a heart that acknowledges that you need him. And then he will do all the rest. God will give you new purpose in life, reshaping your life in the image of Jesus, the cornerstone, through the work of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to talk about that to learn more, contact Paul or Peter or myself, and we will gladly help you in any way we can. I'm going to close this morning with similar words of encouragement from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, And Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thanks be to God for his marvelous work in our lives. Let's pray.